it's saying, if there's one thing you've just got to know about God, uh, it's that he's gracious. And if you lose sight of that, just for a second, you're bound to relate to him totally wrong. Now, I think most people around tend to think that God is grasping. He just takes and takes. So that they view Christianity as a series of rules and laws to suck up all our time and freedom. Uh, others think of God as grudging, um, so that he needs persuading or bribing by sacrificing enough or praise him often enough. Perhaps he'll pay attention to me. But the Bible says that God is gracious, that he gives and gives and gives freely, undeservedly and generously. And he's not a drain, but, but a bubbling fountain that never runs out. He's not a, a black hole that sucks in, but a sun that gives out. So that if any of us, like moons or planets, seem to give out a new light, actually it is a reflective light. Now when we get God wrong, when we, when we think of him as grasping or grudging rather than gracious, everything else goes wrong. If we're not a Christian, our, our motivation to investigate drops off of the process. Um, for we're not really drawn to this God that we think is being spoken about. Who wants to know a grudging, grasping God? Um, if we are Christians, well, our thankfulness and joy and assurance and trust and hope, actually everything really, starts to crumble. And whoever we are, we deeply dishonour God, for God is gracious. And so you see, there couldn't be more at stake. And I think that's why this Bible writer Paul is so very urgent, uh, so blunt really in this letter, so un-British. I wonder if you know the story of the couple who were off on holiday and they asked their friends to look after their house and, and also to cat sit for them and look after their granny. And they, on return, they, they asked how it went and friends said, well, I mean, your cat's dead. Uh, what? I don't know, but couldn't you have eased us in more lightly? Uh, couldn't you have been more gentle with us? Maybe you could have said, well, the cat was yeah, playing on the roof and it was a nice sunny day, enjoying chasing a few birds and things, and uh, slipped off the roof and so we took it to the vet and after a little bit of time, we had to put it down. That would have made it much easier to take. Oh, okay, sorry. By the way, how was some granny doing? Um, well, she was having a lovely time on the roof and, uh, <laughs> uh, in the sun. <laughs> now, Paul doesn't um, pansy around here because there's so much at stake. Uh, did you see his tone in chapter 3, verse 1? You foolish Galatians, <coughs> who has bewitched you? You idiots, what are you doing? To forget that God is gracious. You must be under some sort of a spell, because what you're doing makes absolutely no sense. And so Paul reasons with them, I think, all the way through this letter. In chapters 1 and 2, he's been saying, God's grace has defined my ministry. From A to Z, I was called by grace, chapter 1, verse 15. And I've refused to set aside that grace, chapter 2, verse 21, even when many, many others are. And in our passage, um, he's basically saying two big things. You can follow them on the service sheet. Um, and the first one is, remember, Galatians, that God's grace has defined your Christian experience <laughs> from A to Z. And that's verses 1 to 5. Now, for a start, he says, the message that saved you was about grace. Have a look with, with, you, uh, with me at uh, verse 1. He says, Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified. 
Now, the Apostle Paul probably brought Christianity to Galatia in the first place. He'd been appointed by Jesus to travel the world and to spread this message. And, of course, he didn't go to them with some sort of DVD of Jesus' life. Um, but when he says that he's portrayed Jesus before their very eyes, I think he's saying something like, look, folks, I could have used 10 billion words and I couldn't have painted it clearer. And the Jesus Paul had set before them well, wasn't primarily a wise guru or an, a great example, a moral example for them to follow. And he didn't come carrying a judge's wig to condemn the world or with a collection bucket to, um, to, to gather in charity. Now this Jesus that Paul had um, presented before them came as a saviour and he came carrying a cross. And that is the view of God that these Christians needed to keep before them. You see, when you look to the cross, you can't maintain that God is a grasping kind of God. For we see there that central to all of God's plans was him giving the most precious thing he had, uh, his own son. Because when we look to the cross, we, we can't maintain that God is a, a grudging kind of God. Paul said elsewhere, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all thanks? Perhaps you've found yourself in the past wondering whether all this chat about God being gracious might not just be propaganda. <laughs> After all, pretty much every uh, leader through history has claimed something similar. Done the odd act of very public charity, uh, some sort of a display. Well, for me, I think the cross eases those worries. For there, we see God pouring out like a great fountain, not just some money, but his own precious blood. And there is nothing more that God could have given. And so the ABC that had made these guys Christians, that makes anyone a Christian, is this message of grace. And perhaps some of us have been Christians for, for a long time, and we've forgotten how we've begun. The message that saved you was about grace. Secondly, the Spirit who transforms you comes by grace. At verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, or by believing what you heard? Now the Christian life involves being forgiven and being transformed. Forgiven from all our wrongdoings in the past, and transformed from being the sort of twisted people that we are into generous, self-controlled, patient, kind sort of people. In other words, transformed to be like God. And God doesn't just sit back with arms folded and say, okay, come on then, be like me. If we're, if we're not Christian believers here, the message of the Bible is not try hard, fill up yourselves. Because God is a gracious God. And so he's hugely gracious in our, in our forgiveness part. Um, he sent his son. But he's also hugely gracious in our transformation. He sends, did you see in the verse, uh, his spirit. Now, of course, we all know that selfishness is very strong in our lives. And so God sent the strongest helper he knew. Not some angel, but his own spirit. And we all know that evil lies actually very deep inside us. It's not just our actions, it's our attitudes. And so God sent this great helper, and not just alongside us, but to come within us, to rewire us. Do you see how gracious God is? It gives us everything we need, not just for forgiveness, but to be transformed as well. 
And so Paul asks them, did you receive the Spirit by twisting God's arm, by keeping a series of laws, or was it a gift that you received by faith? And of course, it was by grace. You see, you start the Christian life by grace, and you continue the Christian life by grace right to the end. And so verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? <clears throat> I think the perennial problem for Christians all through history is that they try to separate their forgiveness from their transformation. So, so with forgiveness, I guess a lot of us would instinctively go, okay, yeah, that's, that's honestly by grace. It's God's choice whether he, whether he was kind enough to forgive me. But then when it comes to our transformation part, we tend to think that's down to us, down to human efforts. God's done his bit, we've got to do ours. Uh, he started us as Christians, but we've got to attain the end goal by ourselves, or at least in some sort of a partnership. I think that's how these Galatians were thinking. And what they needed to see is the extent of God's grace. Uh, do we have breath in our bodies to sing God's praises here this evening? Well, that's God's grace. He gives us that breath. Uh, do we have any inclination to please God? Well, folks, I, I hate to say that doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to me. That is God's grace. Uh, have we made any progress over the last few years in maybe being a bit less envious or, or selfish? Well, that is God's grace to us. And have we been transformed as a church? Well, verse 5 says that is the miraculous work of God's grace. And we don't deserve it. And we haven't achieved it. Now, I think it is quite easy to end up reinterpreting our Christian experience <coughs> and to make it more about human effort than about God's grace. When I arrived at university a few years ago now, um, I started going to quite a well-known church. They had a good student work and some excellent programs going on. And I kind of went to everything, really, and I ended up reading the Bible once along with someone. And, well, I did, I think, make just a little bit of progress in starting to love God more and care more about other Christians and have a bit of courage to speak to those who didn't know Jesus. Now, one person could view that and think, well, it's just really a sausage machine, you know. It's really just down to human effort, um, all those programs. But actually, no, it was God's grace. For God had got that church going in the first place. And he empowered all of those involved. And, and were he to stop being involved in that church just for a moment, all those programs would achieve absolutely nothing in people's lives. And anyway, as I start to get to know my own stubbornness, I start to realise that no human effort could really have changed this heart of mine. Now, the Galatians realised that at the start. They began with the spirits. Uh, their confidence lay with God and his gracious transformation. But now they were imagining that they might have made this progress by their human effort. And so they were going to go on on their own. I suppose that would have massaged their egos and it might have sat more comfortably with the other religions and philosophies in the world around. No one else had a genuinely gracious God. And so it might have alleviated actually for them the suffering mentioned in verse 4. I guess it was certainly what Satan wanted for them, to think of God like this. 
who's perhaps who's being referred to, I think, maybe in, in, in verse 1, uh, with that bewitched language. But of course, it, it made absolutely no sense of their Christian experience. See, God's grace had defined that from A to Z. Both their forgiveness and their transformation was ultimately down to Him. Now, if the Galatians had forgotten that, well, I wonder whether it might be possible that we might have forgotten that just a little. I suggest some warning signs from, from my own life um, where, where I might have started to do this. So one sign is, well, I've got some, some ministry to do, perhaps a, a Bible study or I'm on the welcome team. I put a lot of thought into um, kind of getting prepared for that practically, uh, my own human efforts. And prayer becomes, well, just a side thought. We say, don't we, shall we just pray? And those prayers often don't reflect our genuine needs for God's help and our absolute powerlessness to really do anything without Him. Related to that, when I identify a sin in my life that I need to fight against, I do tend, I think, to sort of start with dependence on, on God, on, on His Spirit. I pray not, for start. But as I go on, and perhaps I make a bit of forward progress, what happens? I start praying. I, I sort of committed a prayer about this for a long time, and a few weeks later, I've stopped. It's, it, it's down to me. Um, as though the spirit jump starts the car, and then human effort is the engine for normal driving. Another warning sign is that I place my confidence sometimes in, in things like Christianity Explore courses and, and one-to-ones. And I suspect that Paul would have been absolutely thrilled uh, if he found the church doing those sorts of things. But he wouldn't think that someone was doomed if they didn't go to them for, for whatever reason. Or totally safe if they had gone through them all. You see, although he knew that God's work through means, his confidence didn't lie in those means, but in God himself. Perhaps another warning sign is when we despair of any progress. I think of a friend of mine who's nervous about becoming a Christian because he, he doesn't think that he could give up a particular habit. And he needs to learn that just as his forgiveness is down to God's grace, well, so is his transformation. And that is an encouraging force. God's grace defines your Christian experience from A to Z. Second thing these verses teach us, God's grace defines your history from A to Z. That's verses 6 to 9. And it seems that people in this Galatian church were accusing them of betraying their heritage. Had they been given this great law of Moses? Uh, weren't they defined by rituals like circumcision? I can't imagine being particularly excited by that as a marker, but um, surely then, weren't they to relate to God, yes, on the basis of God's grace, but also on some of this human effort? Why not have both? And Paul says, okay, uh, let's go back to the beginning of your Jewish history. Not M for Moses, but A for Abraham. Let's go back there. Uh, how did Abraham relate to God? Verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham simply um, trusted God. That's what belief means. And he received as an absolutely free gift this right standing before God, righteousness. And he was given that, well, before he was circumcised, or before he did anything. And what is true for Abraham is true for all of those who trust God, even Gentiles. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. 
The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this gospel that Paul was preaching of a gracious, gracious God wasn't actually a new thing, nor did it contradict the Old Testament. It's just how Abraham thought about God. Trust in his graciousness is how God has always wanted people throughout all of history to relate to him. It defines their Bible history from A to Z, from Abraham to Zechariah. And by the way, if you're, if you're sceptical about the Bible, for me, one of the things that's been most helpful is seeing its continuity. That read about Abraham or Moses or David or Elijah and the God they knew and lived for. Well, it's exactly the same. And he's the God that Paul lived for and knew. And he's the God that this local church here in Ellsfield knew. A very, very gracious God. He doesn't have moments of just being gracious. It's not a blip or a whim for, for God. No, he has an impeccable history in it. And so can we see we can have every confidence as we look to the future in our lives that God will continue to be gracious. And so Paul says, verses 10 to 12, don't rely on human effort. Don't rely on it. Now the law mentioned in verse 10 was a set of rules that God had given the Jews. Uh, it was to help them to know how to live as God's people. But it was never supposed to make them God's people. You see, if they were relying on a, on a series of laws, in, in other words, on human effort, to have God accept them and, and love them, well, what were they saying about God? They'd be saying that he was a grudging, grasping kind of God, rather than gracious. A drain to pour all of their efforts down rather than a bubbling fountain. And verse 10 says, if we try to go that way, we'll be cursed. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. I do see how high the standard is. It's, it's not just saying you've got to do some of what's written in the law, but everything. And it's not about doing that just for a day or a, or a little season of length, but continuing to do it every day of your life. No mistakes, no days off. Folks, can we see that someone who tried to do that would be bound to the under God's curse? It's a terrible position to be in, to deny God's graciousness and to be relying on human efforts. I think of the uncertainty of an old Muslim friend of mine. I think of the fear of death of the lady who's doing Christianity Explored. I think of the slavery that the monk Martin Luther put himself under that he might somehow do everything written in the book of the law and tick off every box. And Paul is saying, don't for goodness sake put yourself under that. And don't think that you can combine both human effort and God's grace. Verse 11, clearly no one is justified, no one's accepted before God by, by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary. The man who does these things will live by them. Now those quotes from the Old Testament are basically just saying that relying on human efforts and trusting God's grace are mutually exclusive. You can't live by both. I mean, is God gracious 
or is it? And so these false teachers who are getting, into, getting them to try and rely on things like circumcision and saying that was just an add-on to, that, to, to God's grace were actually denying God's grace. You can't have both. For they were saying, actually, that salvation doesn't ultimately depend on God, but on human efforts. Now, perhaps there are some here who are actually in that position. If you follow another religion, well, I'm pretty ignorant, and uh, you might like to come and sort of correct me afterwards. But it seems to me, from the very little I've read, that other religions tend to be relying on human effort. And I wonder whether you could say, yes, I have done everything written in my book of the law. If we're a Roman Catholic, then the official teaching of your church comes very, very close, actually, to this Galatia issue. But actually, it's very, very easy for all of us to fall into this. There is a bewitching power in the world that makes us start to think, if I go to church every week and read my Bible every morning with explore notes and only ever have one pint of beer, or in my case, shandy, I'm not shandy, um, well then God is bound to accept me. And you see, we're back with a grudging, grasping God. And that is crazy. Don't rely on human efforts, says Paul. For God gives us everything by grace. Just look down at verse 13. They're wonderful verses. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And what Paul's saying is that at the cross, Christ was cursed so that we might be blessed. The curse went to Christ so that the blessing might come to us. And Martin Luther put it like this. Our most gracious God, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed by the curse of the law, and that we could never be delivered from it by our own power, sent his own Son into the world and laid upon him the sins of all men, saying, be thou Peter, that denier, Paul, that persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor, David, that adulterer, that sinner which did eat the fruit in the, in the paradise, that thief which hanged upon the cross. And briefly, be thou the person which hath committed the sins of all men. See that thou pay and satisfy to them all. Here now comes the law and says, I find him a sinner, and that such a one has taken upon him the sins of all men. And I see no sin else but in him. Therefore let him die upon a cross. And so the law set upon Jesus and cursed him and killed him. And the curse went to Jesus. Why? So that the blessing might come to us. Did you see in verse 14? That God had given a, a blessing, a great package to Abraham. He promised him relationship with him an identity as his people, a global influence, and a secure future. And those promises were just added to and added to all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, God wouldn't just sort of vaguely know people. He would come by his spirit to live with them and to make these promises real. And those promises, all those blessings given to Abraham, well, they come to us how? Well, we receive them <coughs> by faith as a gift. 
There is nothing that God promises his people, and nothing that we need, that will come to us in any other way but by God's grace. For God is a gracious God, so determined to be gracious, that he allowed the curse to fall on his son, that we might get the blessing. He wasn't grudging in us, and he wasn't grasping, and he was gracious. So if we're Christians here today, God's grace defines our Christian experience, whether we're willing to admit it or not, from A to Z, and we need to rewire the way we think, and to think much of God's grace. It is his gift that you're here today. And God's grace defines all our history, from A to Z too. That's how he's always worked in the past, and so we can have great confidence that it's how he's going to work in the future. And so don't rely on human efforts, for that way it still counts. Rather, God gives us everything by grace. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you are a gracious, gracious God. And many of us know that from our own experiences in life. Uh, we all know it as we look at the cross and we see you giving your own son for us there. But Father, it's so easy to uh, think of you in different ways, as, as grudging, perhaps, as we say our prayers each day and come to church and perhaps it feels like a, a chore. And we so easily um, convince ourselves that uh, we need to uh, manipulate you or, 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 or sort of um, uh, grab your attention if you're going to be gracious to us. We thank you that as a free gift, uh, all of our Christian life and comes to us both our forgiveness and our transformation and ultimately heaven. And we pray that you just grow up here you. Um, help us not to look back on our lives and, and think it was down to human effort, but to see uh, signs of your grace in our lives. And help us as we go forward, uh, struggling with certain sins, facing the week ahead, to rely uh, fully on your grace. Amen.